Chapter Thirteen of the Eye of Dread. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Eye of Dread by Payne Erskine. Chapter Thirteen. Confession. By Monday evening, there were only two people in all the small town of Lubit who had not heard of the tragedy and these were Hester, Cragmill, and Betty Ballard. Mary doubted if it was wise to keep Hester thus in ignorance, but it was the elder's wish, and at his request, she went to spend the evening, and, if necessary, the night with his wife, to fend off any officious neighbour, while he personally directed the search. It was the elder's firm belief that his son had been murdered yet he thought if no traces should be found of peter jr he might be able to spare hester the agony of that belief he preferred her to think her son had gone off in anger and would some time return he felt himself justified in this concealment fearing that if she knew the truth she might grieve herself into her grave and his request to Mary to help him had been made so pitifully and humbly that her heart melted at the sight of the old man's sorrow, and she went to spend those weary hours with his wife. As the elder sometimes had meetings of importance to take him away of an evening, Hester did not feel surprise at his absence, and she accepted Mary's visit as one of sweet friendliness and courtesy because of peter's engagement to betty nor did she wonder that the visit was made without bertrand as mary said he and the elder had business together and she thought she would spend the time with her friend until their return that was all quite as it should be and very pleasant and Hester filled the moments with cheerful chat, showing Mary certain pieces of cloth from which she proposed to make dainty garments for Betty to help Mary with the girl's wedding outfit. To Mary it all seemed like a dream, as she locked the sad secret in her heart and listened. Her friend's sorrow over Peter Jr.'s disagreement with his father and his sudden departure from the home was tempered by the glad hope that after all the years of anxiety she was some time to have a daughter to love and that her boy and his wife would live near them and her home might again know the sound of happy children's voices the sweet thoughts brought her gladness and peace of mind and mary's visit made the dream more sure of ultimate fulfilment mary felt the elder's wish lie upon her with the imperative force of a law and she did not dare disregard his request that on no account was hester to be told the truth so she gathered all her fortitude and courage to carry her through this ordeal she examined the fine linen that had been brought to hester years ago from scotland by richard's mother and while she praised it she listened for steps without the heavy tread of men bringing a sorrowful and terrible burden but the minutes wore on 
and no such sounds came, and the hour grew late. They may have gone out of town. Bertrand said something about it, and told me to stay until he called for me, if I stayed all night. Mary tried to laugh over it, and Hester seized the thought gaily. We'll go to bed anyway, and your husband may just go home without you when he comes. And after a little longer wait they went to bed, and Hester slept, but Mary lay wakeful and fearing, until in the early morning, while it was yet dark, she heard the elder slowly climb the stairs and go to his room. Then she also slept, hoping against hope that they had found nothing. Betty's pride and shame had caused her to keep her trouble to herself. She knew Richard had gone forever, and she dreaded Peter Junior's next visit. What should she do? Oh, what should she do? Should she tell Peter she did not love him, and that all had been a mistake? She must humble herself before him, and what excuse had she to make for all the hours she had given him, and the caresses she had accepted? Ah, if only she could make the last week as if it had never been. She was shamed before her mother, who had seen him kiss her. She was ashamed, even in her own room in the darkness, to think of all Peter Jr. had said to her, and the love he had lavished on her. Ought she to break her word to him and beg him to forget? Ah, neither he nor she could ever forget. Her brothers had been forbidden to tell her a word of the reports that were already abroad in the town, and now they were both in bed and asleep, and little Janey was cuddled in Betty's bed, also in dreamland, at last, when neither her father nor her mother returned, and she could bear her own thoughts no longer, she brought drawing materials down from the studio and spread them out on the dining-room table. She had decided she would never marry anyone, never. How could she? But she would study in earnest and be an illustrator. If women could never become great artists, as Peter Jr. said, at least they might illustrate books, and sometime, maybe, when her heart was not so sad, she might write books, and she could illustrate them herself. Ah, oh, that would almost make up for what she must go about all her life. For a while she worked painstakingly, but all the time it seemed as though she could hear Richard's voice, and the words he had said to her Sunday morning kept repeating themselves over and over in her mind. Then the tears fell one by one and blurred her work, until at last she put her head down on her arms and wept. Then the door opened very softly, and Richard entered. Swiftly he came to her and knelt at her side. He put his head on her knee, and his whole body shook with tearless sobs he could not restrain. He was faint and weak. She could not know the whole cause of his grief, and thought he suffered because of her. She must comfort him, but alas, what could she say? How could she comfort him? She put her trembling hand on his head, 
and found the hair, matted and stiff. Then she saw a wound above his temple, and knew he was hurt, and cried out, You are hurt! You are hurt! Oh, Richard, let me do something for you! He clasped her in his arms, but still did not look up at her, and Betty forgot all her shame, and her lessons in propriety. She lifted his head to her bosom, and laid her cheek upon his, and said all the comforting things that came into her heart. She begged him to let her wash his wound, and to tell her how he came by it. She forgot everything, except that she loved him, and told him over and over the sweet confession. At last he found strength to speak to her brokenly. Nay, never love me any more, Betty. I've committed a terrible crime, oh my God, and you will hear of it. Give me a little milk. I've eaten nothing since yesterday morning when I saw you. Then I'll try to tell you what you must know, what all the world will tell you soon. He rose and staggered to a chair, and she brought him milk and bread and meat, but she would not let him talk to her until he had allowed her to wash the wound on his head and bind it up. As she worked, the touch of her hands seemed to bring him sane thoughts in spite of the horror of himself that possessed him, and he was enabled to speak more coherently. If I had not been crazed when I looked through the window and saw you crying, Betty, I would never have let you see me or touch me again. It's only adding one crime to another to come near you. I meant just to look in and see if I could catch one glimpse of you, and then was going to lose myself to all the world or give myself up to be hung. Then he was silent and she began to question him. Don't! Richard hung? What have you done? What do you mean? When was it? Sunday night. But you had to start for chaining earlier this morning. Where have you been all day? I thought you were gone forever, dear. I hid myself down by the river. I lay there all day, and heard them talking, but I couldn't see them, nor they me. It was a hiding place we knew of when our camp was there, Peter Jr. and I. He's gone. I did it. I did it with murder in my heart. Oh, my God! Don't, Richard! You must tell me nothing except as I ask you. It is not as if we did not love each other. What you have done, I must help you bear, as, as wives help their husbands, for I will never marry but all my life my heart will be married to yours. He reached for her hands and covered them with kisses and moaned. No, Richard, don't. Eat the bread and meat I have brought you. You have eaten nothing for two days, and everything may seem worse to you than it is. No, no. Richard, I will go away from you and leave you here alone if you don't eat. Yes, I must eat not only now, but all the rest of my life. I must eat to live and repent. He was my dearest friend. I taunted him and said bitter things. I goaded him. I was insane with rage, and at last so was he. 
he struck me and and i i was trying to push him over the bluff slowly it dawned on betty what richard's talk really meant not peter oh richard not peter she shrank from him wide-eyed in terror he would have killed me for i know what was in his heart as well as i knew what was in my own and we were both seeing red i felt it sometimes in battle and the feeling makes a man drunken a man would do anything then we'd been always friends and yet we were drunken with hate and now he he is better off than i i must live unless for the disgrace to my relatives i would give myself up to be hanged it would be better to take the punishment than to live in such torture as this the tears coursed fast down betty's cheeks slowly she drew nearer him and bent down to him as he sat until she could look into his eyes what were you quarrelling about richard don't ask me darling betty what was it richard all my life you will be the sweet help to me the help that may keep me from death in life to carry in my soul the remembrance of last night will need all the help god will let me have if i had gone away quietly you and peter jr would have been married and have been happy but no no oh richard no i knew in a moment when you came yes betty dear peter jr was good and faithful and he might have been able to undo all the harm i had done he could have taught you to love him i have done the devil's work and then i killed him oh my god oh my god how do you know you pushed him over he may have fallen over you don't know it he may have hush dearest i did it when i came to myself it was in the night and it must have been late for the moon was set i could only see faintly that something white lay near me i felt of it and it was peter jr's hat then i felt all about for him and he was gone and i crawled to the edge of the bluff but although i knew he was gone over there and washed by the terrible current far down the river by that time i couldn't follow him whether from cowardice or weakness i tried to get on my feet and could not then i must have fainted again for all the world faded away and i thought maybe the blow had done for me and i might not have to leap over there after all i could feel myself slipping away when i awoke the sun was shining and a bird was singing just as if nothing had happened and i thought i had been dreaming an awful dream but there was the wound on my head and i was alive then i went further down the river and came back to the hiding place and crept in there to wait and think then after a long while the boys came and i was terrified for fear they were searching for me that is the shameful truth betty i feared i never knew what fear was before betty fear is shameful there i have been all day waiting for what i do not know but it seemed 
that if I could only have one little glimpse of you, I could go bravely and give myself up. I will now. No, Richard, it would do no good for you to die such a death. It would undo nothing and change nothing. Peter was angry too, and he struck you, and if he could have his way, he would not want you to die. I say maybe he is living now. He may not have gone over. It is no use, Betty. He went down. I pushed him into that terrible river. I did it. I, I, I. Richard only moaned the words in a whisper of despair. And the horror of it all began to deepen and crush down upon Betty. She retreated step by step until she backed against the door leading to her chamber and there she stood gazing at him with her hand pressed over her lips to keep herself from crying out then she saw him rise and turn toward the door without looking at her again his head bowed in grief and the sight roused her as the door closed between them she ran and threw it open and followed him out into the darkness i can't richard I can't let you go like this. She clung to him, sobbing her heart out on his bosom, and he clasped her and held her warm little body close. I'm like a drowning man pulling you under with me. Your tears drown me. I would not have entered the house if I had not seen you crying. Never cry again for me, Betty. Never i will cry i tell you i will cry i will i don't believe you are a murderer you must believe it i am i loved peter jr and you loved him you did not mean to do it i did it if you did it it is as if i did it too we both killed him and i am a murderer too it was because of me you did it and if you give yourself up to be hung, I will give myself up. Poor Peter, oh Richard, I do not believe he fell over. For a long moment she sobbed thus. Where are you going, Richard? she asked, lifting her head. I don't know, Betty. I may be taken and can go nowhere. Yes, you must go. Quick, quick now. Someone may come and find you here no one will find me cain was a wanderer over the face of the earth will you let me know where you are after you're gone no betty you must never think of me nor let me darken your life then i must live all the rest of the years without even knowing where you are yes love hurt me out of your life from now on and it will be enough for me that you loved me once I will help you atone, Richard. I will try to be brave and help Peter's mother to bear it. I will love her for Peter and for you. God's blessing on you forever, Betty. He was gone, striding away in the darkness, and Betty, with trembling steps, entered the house. Carefully she removed every sign of his having been there, the bowl of water and the cloth from which she had torn strips to bind his head she carried away and the glass from which he had taken his milk she washed and even the crumbs of bread 
which had fallen to the floor, she picked up one by one, so that not a trace remained. Then she took her drawing materials back to the studio, and after kneeling long at her bedside, only saying, God, help Richard, help him, over and over, she crept in beside her little sister, and still weeping and praying chokingly, clasped the sleeping child in her arms. From that time it seemed to Bertrand and Mary that a strange and subtle change had taken place in their beloved little daughter, for which they tried to account as the result of the mysterious disappearance of Peter Jr. He was not found, and Richard also was gone, and the matter, after being for a long time the wonder of the village, became a thing of the past. Only the elder cherished the thought that his son had been murdered, and quietly set a detective at work to find the guilty man, whom he would bring back to vengeance. Her parents were forced to acquaint Betty with the suspicious nature of Peter's disappearance, knowing she might hear of it soon and be more shocked than if told by themselves. Mary wondered not a little at her dry-eyed and silent reception of it, but that was a part of the change in Betty. End of chapter 13 Recording by Elaine Webb, Bristol, England